Hello, PolyAm fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hey there, PolyM fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Bella. I'm Monsuda. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how we adapt to ethical non-monogamy when you're coming straight from monogamy. Yeah, you spend your whole life living and understanding that monogamy is the way to be, and now you're just trying to experience something new and different, there's going to be some changes. Definitely. But before we get into it... Yeah. I would love to share what I've been up to this last week. Sure. First of all, I went back to work. Oh, yeah. I went back to my 9 to 5. Well, I say 9 to 5, but really it's like a 7 to 3.30. Yeah, it's a generalized (laughs) 9 to 5. I went back to my day job, sitting in a little cubicle at a desk all day. Although my desk stands, which is nice because when I'm tired of sitting on my bum, I can stand. It was kind of exhausting. I had to get back into the swing of things on waking up with my alarm. It was a little tiring. And then on top of it, I started my Scentsy business. And that takes up the other half of my day. It does. So it's been kind of a crazy week, but all good things. And officially, I am below 300 pounds now. Congratulations. Yay! Round of applause. I stepped on the scale this morning and it is at 299.1. Fantastic. So everything is paying off and I'm feeling great this week. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear all of your great progress. Thanks. How are you feeling? How's your week been? What's new with you? Oh, let's talk about (laughs) that. So I went back to college. Yep. And in the process of doing so, I have jumped headlong into my schoolwork because I'm taking summer classes. Mm -hmm. Because I don't believe in taking time off. So it's work until you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. His work ethic is unreal. And so I have jumped headlong into this. And I generally put in 96 hours a day (laughs) in my classes. So pretty much all of my time is spent on classes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's been fun. But I'm studying a lot and I'm going above and beyond and I'm learning beyond the scope of learning. It's true. You're sharing things with me that I never thought I wanted to know anything about. Right. And you still (laughs) don't. (laughs) I'm sharing things with both my partners that they don't want to have... Sh- I'm oversharing. Basically, I'm oversharing. You A little bit. A little bit. Because it's fascinating. It's all so fascinating. To you. And by proxy... <laughs> to all of you. So, regardless, yes. I have spent all of my time doing school. I've neglected every other aspect of my existence. <laughs> And I am just a cog in the wheel of academia. I see. I am what you might call an academia nut. (laughs) I really love those from Subway. (laughs) Their cookies with their academia nuts. They're good. Not quite the same thing. No, but that's what that reminded me of. Oh, well, you're welcome. You're like a sweet cookie with a nut in the middle. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, that leads right into our discussion. Oh, well, let's get into it because <laughs> this is going nowhere. <laughs> so I think one of the first things for me that came up when I was first dipping my toes into ethical non-monogamy, mm-hmm. and for me personally, it was polyamory, was I'm I'm an anxious person to begin with. Oh, yeah? I have lots of anxiety in huh. general, uh, but the anxiety around dating someone else when you're already partnered and how it kind of feels wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you go into the dating world. Maybe I was single. Well, I was single, but maybe you're single when you step out and you have this new great partner and you go through all the NRE and everything's great. Maybe you're poly from the start. Maybe you jump into poly later. But at some point, you try to date someone new And now it feels like cheating, even though you know you've had all these discussions and everything's open and consensual and everything is on the up and up and given the okay. But inside, you're still trained to think this is wrong. Yes. Well, and that comes from a long history of conditioning ourselves to believe that we need to find the one true love, the one and only, the happily ever after This is the person you're going to get together and die with. (laughs) Right, right. And while that's very romantic and a beautiful thought and sometimes a very beautiful action, it's not always the case. Yeah, not for everyone. And we've talked uh, plenty of times about how one of the wonderful aspects of ethical non-monogamy, no matter which form you practice, is that one person cannot fulfill your every single need. And so dating multiple people or having relationships more accurately with multiple people allows you the opportunity to have your needs met by other people so that the entire impetus of all of your needs is not placed on your one happily ever after. Right. And I mean, even if that person was Wonder Woman and she's got all your needs handled. I would date Wonder Woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure on her shoulders. Yeah. You know, what if she's having an off week and doesn't want to listen to your biology spiel? But even for the best of us, that's a lot of pressure on one person's shoulders to be like, okay, I could handle all your physical, mental, spiritual, all your needs in one person. That's just a lot. I don't want to sign up for that pressure. Even if I think I could handle it, I don't want to. And even if you did want to handle that pressure, like I like to try to be as much as I can for each and every one of my partners. Mm -hmm. It's still a lot of work. And there are times where you might just need a break from being that one and only everything. Yeah. And so someone else to help. Not that this is what the other partner is (laughs) for, but someone else who is also there to provide these things for a partner means that they're not going to miss out on what they need while you need your break. Yep, definitely. So for me, it was that anxiety from the start. I'd start dating someone and I'd be out on a date with them. And man, my mind would wander and I'd be like, oh, I hope my partner's doing okay at home. I feel so bad that I've left them there. And, you know, what if they're going crazy? Maybe I should tell my date, I need to go to the bathroom just so I could text my partner at home and make sure everything was okay. So that stress and anxiety that comes along with it and, you know, can I, can I post on Facebook about this date? Do I need to be secret? I'm fully out, but is this new person out? What is a post on Facebook going to do to my partner at home? Is that going to upset them? All of these anxiety questions running through my head. Yeah. And then even to back that up a little bit, 
just the idea of meeting somebody new, mm-hmm. you know, even when you're experienced, but especially when you are just getting into polyamory or ethical non-monogamy of another type, if you're on a dating app, let's say, and you're chatting with someone and you're having some flirtatious conversations and you're mm-hmm. having a good time, even in that point before you meet up with this person, you could have a wash of, geez, I'm cheating on my partner. Right. Or if my partner finds out about this, maybe I'm going to hurt them. Do I keep this a secret? Yeah. So even before you get to the point where you're actually on a date, you could be having some of this anxiety. Like, should I even get on a dating app and try to meet new people? Because isn't that kind of cheating? Right. I'm married. Should I be on an app? Like, oh no, you know, that feels weird or feels wrong. Yeah. So what do we do about this anxiety that comes up? Really, when we get down to it, we are trying to handle our own perception of what reality is in the sense that we were raised and conditioned to believe that if we have amorous feelings for another individual while we currently have amorous feelings for a partner, then we are devaluing or doing a disservice to our current partner by exploring this feeling that I'm having with this other potential partner. Right. And in that conditioning, it comes down to believing that what you're doing is morally wrong. And the anxiety built up around it is based around the moral implications that have been impressed upon you through your life. Right. That's where we're trying to really get past the stigma of what we're doing is wrong. Yes. So maybe when you're first stepping in, maybe you need to sit down, whether it's by yourself or with your partner, and really write out or, you know, figure out in your own way what your values, what your morals are, maybe the way you were raised is different than the person you want to be now. Oh, yeah. And so your values and morals have changed over the years. And now you need to flesh that out and figure out who you are as a person. What's important to you now? Is it one and only monogamy person? Then cool. If you want to dive into polyamory, then maybe some of your morals are that everything is open and honest versus one true love forever till death do us part. Right. You know, figuring out where you stand so that way your conscience is clear when you make those dating moves. Right. And then I would say that the to add to what you're saying is that the first step in doing this is trying to understand what exactly it is you're feeling and perhaps where it's coming from. Yeah. I believe that this is wrong. Well, my parents were happily married for 50 years and in their entire life, they never looked at another person, you know, or my, I, I was raised by a single parent who is totally destroyed by a cheating partner Mm -hmm. and has really impressed that cheating makes you a filthy, disgusting person. You know, where is it that this is coming from? How were you trained this? How were you taught this? One primary example that I can think of is I dated this girl, well, a couple of times, actually. I dated her (laughs) once in seventh grade. We were Mm -hmm. middle school sweethearts. It lasted a good summer. (laughs) (laughs) And then later in life, we reconnected and rekindled that relationship you know and it was it was cute and it was sweet and she was just getting out of 
a marriage that was destructive and I was just opening my life to advanced forms of polyamory. Mm -hmm. I guess because I say that in that way because I did a lot of friends with benefits and, you know, some less than deep romantic relationships, you know. Yeah. So we reconnected, found each other on Facebook. I think she found me and we started talking and the next thing you know, we are exploring a relationship and we're starting to date and doing these things. Now, long story short is that some of her conditioning came from not the way that she was raised in childhood, but the way that she was made to do relationships by like this soon-to-be ex-husband right, and other romantic partners in her life. She was conditioned by partners who were controlling mm -hmm. and basically said that if, that if she was going to be in a relationship with them, she couldn't have friends of the opposite sex or oh, that's friends. That's a big one. Right? And I... Okay. <laughs> the term friends of the opposite sex generally is a big deal in monogamous heterosexual based relationships. Yeah. Now when when you I I'm not a huge fan of friends of the opposite sex in the way of these conversations. Mm -hmm. I would prefer to call it friends of an attracted gender. Yes. Because if you happen to be in a same-sex relationship, then who cares if you have friends of the opposite sex? It's a hard conversation to have regardless on either side because what if you're someone like me who so i identify as bisexual could be pansexual to me bisexual means i'm attracted to people like me and people unlike me right so that's the entire spectrum of every gender doesn't matter however that means i can't have friends with anybody right <laughs> and that's kind of where she was placed in her relationship box is that her partner saw other male-identified partners, mm -hmm. other men, as a threat to his relationship. So she was not allowed to have friends who were men. Right. Because of that, she didn't quite know how to develop friendships with the opposite gender of her or with a gender other than hers because she was never allowed to do that. Right. This is a great example of how you could be conditioned into not allowing certain relationships to grow mm -hmm. or conditioned to develop anxiety around trying to create the relationships you want to create that you have previously been unable to create. So I'm imagining this girl, you know, fresh out of a divorce, perhaps, mm -hmm. and now she's in the dating world, let alone the polyamory dating world. Maybe she just wants to have some friends, but one, she doesn't know how to make friends with people she's attracted to or right. can have attraction towards. Well, and then if I was to add to that or change that a little bit, is she wasn't even looking to come into the world of polyamory. Yeah. She and I were connecting. She didn't know how she could operate with me on any kind of relationship level because I was already married. Right. And so even just having a friendship together, she was feeling like she was a homewrecker and she was creating incredible guilt within herself because she was under the assumption or the operation that I had to not be able to speak with people with whom I'm attracted yeah. because I'm in a relationship. 
So even just trying to figure out a friendship in that level was initially incredibly difficult. So I've got a way to help work through that. Okay. To me, if I was like experiencing that on my own, I think it would be a great help to get everybody together. Yes. Right? So she wants to build this friendship with you. You're married. She thinks it's going to cause all these problems. So if you can get her over for something like a game night where she gets to meet your wife and hang out with your wife, see that everything's good, everyone's getting along, and there is no tension or weirdness, even if maybe you're flirting a little bit with her in front of your wife, and it's still okay. Yeah. That's the only way I could think to really kind of work through those built up misconceptions. Yeah. Well, and it's funny that you offer that because that's pretty much what I did. Yeah. We had a pool table, invited her over to play pool. We hung out a lot. We tried to do hobbies together. Yeah. Not as a way to acclimate her into the relationships, but as a way to help her Mm -hmm. understand how to socialize in a way that goes against what she was specifically taught. Well, it's like reinforcing and building up that trust. Yeah. You know, and it has nothing to do with a romantic relationship between you, but trusting in you're telling her it's okay and her having to believe it. Agreed. Now, there ended up being a romantic relationship mm-hmm. and she took a lot of chances, stepped outside of her boundaries. Her own personally created boundaries are the boundaries that were imposed upon her by someone else. Yeah. Long story short, obviously it didn't happen for a very long time because... As she was exploring a relationship with me, she was also learning about polyamory. And while she was learning to be comfortable with that and learning to grow into that, as soon as she found a person who was devoting all of their time to her, she went straight back into her old old mindset and developed that relationship with this person. But she brought back all of her old ideals and cut out all people who might pose a threat to her relationship based on her partner's view. Because we did break up before she found that person, but we remained friends and we were close friends. And once she started dating someone new, she severed all ties because that's the only way she knows how to take care of her partner. Yeah. So that is kind of the longest winded explanation (laughs) or description that we've probably or I've probably given in an episode But it is absolutely relevant to some of what you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Yeah, absolutely. So another tough emotion that I can remember coming up early, at least in our journey together. Mm -hmm. um, And I know neither of us were brand new to polyamory when it came up, but we were new to each other. And we fell deep and hard into NRE. You said deep and hard. Deep and hard. Into NRE, which was difficult on our partners and our other partners. But something that I remember you talking about coming up was guilt. You would feel guilty trying to make plans with your wife and leaving me home. Or you would feel guilty, you know, taking me out or spending a whole day with me knowing your wife wasn't involved. And you tried really, really hard to keep an equal balance. And that caused a lot of guilt for you. Right. And we've discussed equality versus equity in episode 83. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is a prime example of some of the earlier things in developing non-monogamous relationships that does come up. And I think that some of what, if I'm correct in in what you're trying to say, is that 
some of the issue came about with guilt. And the guilt in giving you all this attention, in a way, did make me feel like I was causing a disservice to my other partner. Right. And really trying to figure out how to manage that can be incredibly difficult. You know, even now, years after that, I still sometimes struggle with the guilt of, you know, I'm, I'm doing this when I should be doing this. Or, you know, like this feeling for me doesn't entirely go away. It might for some, but even yeah. with me, it doesn't. Well, we even had a conversation, what, last night where I wanted to stay in the hot tub, mm -hmm. right? I just had this long week back to work. I started my Sensi business. I'm just busting my ass. I really wanted some alone time. Yeah. And your wife was over hanging out and you invited me to come watch a movie with you guys and whatnot. And we had to have a real frank conversation about like, it's okay. You're not leaving me out. Like I appreciate the invite and I understand it's an open invite to join, but me trying, me not being there, you don't need to feel guilty about it. Right. I like my own time. I needed my own time. And we had this real frank conversation about it. Well, and I think that the way that that conversation was is that you were trying to find a way to tell me that you didn't want to be involved in grouped activities because I was, I was inviting you to the movie or I was inviting you to do things. And you were trying to tell me that you just needed your space. Yeah. And in my way, I was trying to clarify that I wasn't trying to invite you into everything because I felt guilty that you were getting left out. But it was more that I wanted to create some inclusivity should you choose to accept it. But that is a good example in the sense that if I'm trying to always invite you to everything or I'm try trying to always make sure that everyone feels included or is being treated equally or equitably, mm -hmm. then... That's my way of trying to diminish my guilt, right? If I'm not including you, I feel guilty for not including you. Right. So I'm going to create a scenario where everyone gets time. And I feel guilty not going because you've invited me. And I'm like, right. oh, I should, you know, air quotes, should go because he's invited me. So I have to work through that. Right. But in in that sense also... If you're creating that group scenario all the time, then you're also not providing the required amount of energy per individual partner. Mm -hmm. So you need to find a balance even in that. But let's get back to the guilt thing. One of the ways that I've worked through a lot of my guilt around thinking that I needed to do X mm -hmm. is honestly having conversations with each of my partners or a collective group of partners, you know, having the conversation all at once. Have the conversation with your partners about the importance of the relationship. Have conversation about your partners about expectations. Don't just try to find, and this is me speaking from my experience, don't just try to find how to make sure that all of your partner's needs are met because that creates an imbalance. What you also want to do is actually explain what needs you have that also need to be met. What has helped is trying to find the balance between my own personal needs and the needs of my partner mm -hmm. and the needs of this partner and the needs of each relationship as a whole, so on and so forth. 
but I've tried so hard to be on that other side of this conversation. Not that I need my partner to meet all of my needs, but that I need to try to make sure that I'm feeling as many needs as possible for my partner. Not so that they can't date other people, but because I don't want to fail as a person right. for my partner. If your needs are getting met by 38 different people. <laughs> I don't have time for that shit. That's not going to bother me. Right. It might actually make it more okay for me to want to go out and do things. But in those scenarios, say that 37 people dump you. <laughs> And then you're struggling on your own. I still need to be able to have the ability and the wherewithal to take care of the needs that you're going to have yeah. in that scenario. So for me, it's not a matter of trying to envelope my partner so that they only get their needs met through me. It's a matter of making sure that when their needs aren't to be met, that I am capable of doing it. So it's more of a failure thing in my side. And that's where my guilt comes from, is feeling like I'm failing somebody. Yeah. And so that's, I don't know, that's probably a whole conversation all by itself. A failure conversation? Yeah. The feeling of failing? I don't know if that quite answered what, what you were asking. I mean, I think that basically covers, like, what, when you're feeling guilty about something within the dynamic or with your relationships, mm -hmm. you know, you try and talk it out with your partners and see who needs more time and just really try to rationalize and figure it out in your head and be like, okay, this really is okay. Like she says, blah, blah, blah. And put trust in that. Oh, put trust in that. That's very important because you could talk about what you want to talk mm -hmm. about all day long, but if you can't trust in the direct information you're getting. Right. So early on in our relationship, I'd be like, yeah, it's fine. Go out, have a good time. But then you would go out and I'd be like, oh, I'm struggling so hard. This is tough. Right. So you couldn't put trust in it when I would say, I'm fine. Go ahead. You didn't believe me because previous to that, I was still having a hard time and it was a struggle. Right. You'd tell me you're fine and then I'd go out and do the thing and I'd come back and find out that you indeed were not fine. <laughs> but I was trying really, really hard to be fine. Right. But okay. now, four years later, I tell you I'm fine and you're like, all right, like we've rebuilt that trust around it. And so now you know and believe and trust in it when I say I'm really okay. I like my alone time now. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we've talked about how I've done it, uh, you know, in some of these scenarios. Mm -hmm. What else could you bring to the table or what other different perspective or methods have you found to get rid of some of the guilt for you? I think what it comes down to for me is if we've front-loaded conversations, and even if I'm on a date with somebody new and I'm like, hey, I'm down, but just because we're dating doesn't mean I'm not going to date other people too. Right. Right. So I put everything out there. I'm open and honest, which has come back to bite me in the butt a few times because sometimes I overshare, but I put it all out there from the get go. So when I'm talking about things and I'm like, Hey, I might struggle with this, or if you're struggling with it, you need to tell me. So then I'm going to trust and believe if you're not telling me there's a problem, there's no problem. So I don't feel guilty going out with someone because you said it's fine. So I'm just really big on we have to be able to talk about how we're feeling. And in general, I don't tend to struggle too much with guilt. The whole the morality around things and the shoulds, the air quote shoulds do this or don't do that. I kind of live my life the way I want to live it. 
and I don't feel that pressure of I'm supposed to be doing this or I should be doing this. Now, if it comes up, I just have that hard conversation. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I feel really guilty that I left you home alone for six hours or I went out for a whole day because we were at the state fair and you were home alone. I'm feeling guilty about that. Were you really okay? Was that, was that all right? And mm-hmm. so I'll just come home and check in with partners to reinforce the feeling that it really was okay. Okay. So front load the conversation. Mm-hmm. We could have discussions about expectations and fears and doubts. We can work on building or maintaining that trust with a partner. Mm-hmm. And then when we return from whatever would theoretically make us feel guilty, do a follow-up check-in. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I like that. I think that would go in a long way. Yeah. Now, something else that I can recall coming up, and I think for me, when I was first stepping into polyamory, I played the unicorn role a lot. I was dating a lot of couples. So I actually had a lot of fear about how people were going to perceive me. Okay. Right. So I have anxiety about things. There's guilt about things. But then there's this fear in I didn't want to be seen as the homewrecker. I was afraid of being called a slut or a whore. There's all these things that I was afraid of that were based on other people's opinions. Mm. And what I came to realize through doing all of this is something I've heard many times. Other people's opinions are none of my business. They don't matter unless they're paying my bills. I'm in a relationship with them, anything like that. Their opinion doesn't matter. So they can run their mouth and talk all the shit they want, but they're not involved in my life. They actually have no impact. Right. If they're not providing the three F's, then they don't matter. And what are the three F's? Feeding you, financing you, or fucking you. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a lot of fear in the beginning around other people's perception of me. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, I still have that. I mean, yeah, I guess at the root of it, it would be a fear. I am mindful of people's perceptions, sometimes overly so. That does play a huge part in how I engage, Mm -hmm. whether it's just purely on acquaintance level or whether it is in a romantic capacity. Right. I know you've said in the past, even in like Facebook groups and stuff, you're never going to be the person to reach out first because you don't want to come across as that creepy dude because so many other people before you have done that. Right. Well, and then that's, that's another thing altogether. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that I don't want to fit into what I believe is the view or judgment, or assumption, or perception of another person that could fit the negative stereotype. I don't want to fulfill that negative stereotype. Yeah. And I probably need to cut that shit the hell out (laughs) and just be more forthcoming with who I am. Because I know that I'm never going to be the guy that slides the the dick pics in your your (laughs) DM, you know? Yeah. That's not my thing. But because there have been so many others who have done that, I don't even want to message someone first because I don't want them to be like, oh, shit, here comes another dick pic. Right. It's, I mean, like... eh. It's a whole thing. It is a whole thing, and it's frustrating. So speaking of dick pics... Oh, okay. I got a final topic on this anxiety when you're, like, new into ethical non-monogamy. So let's talk about anxiety 
around sex with somebody new when you're partnered. Mm, I mean, because sex with someone new when you're not partnered is just a fun new sexual relationship. Well, and it's very funny that we're talking about this. And in the context of this conversation, we're talking about the anxiety about sex with a new person who is not your partner. Mm -hmm. Going fresh into ethical non-monogamy versus non-ethical non-monogamy or cheating. Right. In monogamy, when you go to have sex with someone who's not your partner, oftentimes it's not really anxiety that's the key driver there. It's the excitement or the thrill of doing something you shouldn't be doing. Right. So in my head, this whole change of process where it goes from being a thrill to being, oh, geez, this is bad. I shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. It's ethical and on the up and up and everyone's aware and consenting, but it doesn't feel like it's okay. And now it's a bad thing versus cheating where it doesn't feel like it's okay. And that's exciting. Right. So I've always found that to be kind of an interesting dynamic. At any rate, let's talk about that. So I think there's two sides to this, right? You're say you're single and you're newly stepping into ethical non-monogamy and you found this partner and things are going really great and you're going to take it to a sexual relationship. Yeah. What if that partner's married? Okay. So now there's anxiety about, oh man, is this a don't ask, don't tell? Does she know about me? Is he telling the truth? Am I going to be seen again by others as a homewrecker? But then on the other side of things, what if you're the partnered person and you're dating someone new that escalates to a sexual relationship and now there's anxiety about, oh man, it's been 20 years since I've slept with someone new. There's all this weirdness about positions and who's going to make a move and how is this going to work and they're going to see me naked and oh my gosh and all of that anxiety because it's been a minute since you've been intimate with someone new. Yeah, they're both great observations. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because as much as I am a body positivity advocate, I am also my own worst critic. We all are. And I don't care how long I've been in the world of ethical non-monogamy, when I am getting ready to get physically intimate with a new person, Mm -hmm. I'm still that person that's like, God, let's just turn the lights off. Don't look at me. Like, put a blindfold on. Don't look at me. Stare at the wall. (laughs) I don't care. Just don't look at me. You don't want to see this. You're going to run screaming. It really probably helped when I ran out of the house the first few times. Yeah, it did. It was so great. It was a wonderful positive reinforcement on my body image. So that funny story real quick here. When we were first dating and doing our first overnights... I was staying at his house and we did dinner and we had the whole date night. And then the first night I was so anxious to be just sleeping. Like we're not even talking about fucking. This is just sleeping at someone else's house that I left in tears from the kitchen from dinner. She didn't even get upstairs where the bedroom (laughs) is. And then the second night I got into the bedroom, I was like, all right, I can do this. We're just going to lay in bed. We're going to cuddle and watch a movie or whatever. It was fine. And I got into bed and then I was like, nope, can't do it. And I packed up my shit and headed out. And that was great (laughs) on my end because she was, she was jumping in. She jumped into bed. She had her night clothes on, all this other stuff. And I'm thinking, well, this is much better than the last time because she didn't even get upstairs last time. So she's already in bed. So this is going to happen. So I went into the bathroom 
to do my night routine so that I can get into bed. <laughs> and by the time I got out of the bathroom, I had, I think I had boxers on. Normally I sleep nude, but I wanted to be considerate of you right. and, and knew that you were anxious and I wanted to make it as comfortable and safe as possible. Yeah. I walk out and you are out of bed, <laughs> packing your shit up, apologizing, crying, and running out the door. <laughs> and then the third night, it was good. I was able to, to sleep over. But I had no trust <laughs> by this time. I was like, here we go again. Why do I even try? I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. And you're like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that just is a, is a, it's a great example of how so much anxiety can come up. This was just literally going to sleep overnight, like like little kid sleepover at someone else, aka a brand new partner's house. I was living with another partner. I was living with her and her husband, and I was at my new partner's house. Like, it's not like sleeping in other people's homes was a different thing for me. I do this all the time. But it I was do a- this all the time. <laughs> But it was a new romantic interest with the possibility of a physical connection happening. And oh my God, we're in the same bed and I'm going to drool and I'm going to fart and it's going to be a whole thing. And I just couldn't handle it. And the anxiety was too much. So we kept trying and you made it very safe and welcoming and okay for me to come back. And every time (laughs) that you ran away, all of the many, many times... (laughs) I reassured you. It's cool. You know, go at your own pace. If you're not ready, we don't have to do this. I believe that it was some of that reassurance that helped reinforce in your mind that it was okay. But I'm not you. So why don't you tell me? Yeah, no, absolutely. The reinforcement and the assurance and, again, the safe space. And, you know, you kept inviting me over. (laughs) It wasn't like once or twice of running away. You were like, fuck this bitch. I'm out. She is not welcome over here. I mean, I had those thoughts. But you didn't verbalize them. You know, you weren't calling me a tease. None of that. So it was a safe space for me. (laughs) Well, and that's really not fair to do, right? Because if you're going to go call someone a tease or if you're going to chastise them for not being ready, all you're doing is telling them that you're only in it for this mm-hmm. or you're damning them for not being able to handle what emotions they're trying to handle. You want to make sure that you're able to process your own feelings in a way that allows you the opportunity to help your partner or potential partner process or accept through their feelings. Yeah. And that's really like what a lot of this comes to for me is that I believed in us. I believe that there was a future for us and I cared enough about you, even in those early stages that I wanted to see where that went. Yeah. And if I was to take offense or not properly handle my own feelings around, around the scenario, then I definitely could have easily blown up or treated you poorly and really ruined what turned out to be a fantastic relationship. And I, I'm not willing to put that hurt or damage onto other people. Yeah. And that's because I've spent a lot of time learning how to process my own feelings. So when you're dealing with these anxiety things or these guilt, the fear, the shame, try to remember to handle your feelings in a positive way so that you can be there for someone who needs to handle those same feelings in their own way. 
Yeah, and this whole episode is really about letting you know that you're not alone. These feelings, these tough emotions are going to come up, and they're going to come up on multiple sides of the relationship dynamic for everyone. Doesn't matter their role, doesn't matter who they are, what their past is, things are going to come up. And communicating through them, working it out with your partners, being open and honest about what you're going through, it's all part of working things out. But the biggest message we wanted you to take away from this is, you know, fear and anxiety and guilt and shame are all things that we've all gone through and you're not alone and it'll get better. And they're often going to be super present, especially when you're learning to branch out from a monogamous world or lifestyle or mindset or conditioning that if this is something that you truly want, if you want to do something other than monogamy, these are going to be some of the things that you're going to encounter. And the idea that we've been wanting to impress in this discussion is that it's not that you won't encounter them. It's that you're going to learn how to process through them. Yeah. And you'll get to the other side. You will get to the other side. Conversations, check-ins, sharing emotions, being vulnerable, even oversharing. These are all great ways to help manage and mitigate the issues that might revolve around coming away from monogamy and coming into ethical non-monogamy that you might experience if you haven't already. Even in the realm of monogamy, if you have a friend who you flirt with and are kind of attracted to, and you know that there's not going to be anything, you're still going to have these feelings. So even for a monogamy world or a monogamy lifestyle, these tips that we've shared can help manage that as well. Yeah. And I mean, I I can speak for myself. I know in the decade plus years that I've been doing ethical non-monogamy, I am definitely a better person today, having worked through so many of these things and having the knowledge of how to manage them and how to get through them and how to figure out what I'm feeling. I'm a better person today because of all of this. Oh yeah, definitely. I agree. I I think that pursuing ethical non-monogamy and learning the fundamentals of relationship and growth that I didn't know how to understand while I was being monogamous Mm -hmm. or that were never offered as opportunities to learn because of assumed life patterns, right? right? The happily ever after, the one and only it's not often discussed to have these conversations. It's not often taught to learn how to manage your feelings with people. In some ways, I'm not saying this happens in all of monogamy, but in some aspects of it, it's just assumed that this is how it is and this is what you do. So if you listen to this podcast to learn how to improve your ethically non-monogamous journey, that's awesome. But if you're monogamous and still listen to this podcast because you're trying to learn how to process feelings or how to grow in a relationship. That's all we talk about is still incredibly valid. Absolutely. And there's no wrong way to relationship. If you choose monogamy, do that. Take away what works for you from these episodes. And I think the last takeaway that I Mm -hmm. want to provide is we've, we've shared a few things here and we've shared a few things in each of our discussions. The biggest thing that I'd want to share is if you're struggling to figure out how to understand yourself or your relationships, or your feelings, you don't have to do it alone. It's always okay. It's always encouraged to get help 
to grow. Absolutely. Professional help is a key to many people's struggles. Right. If you feel like you would benefit or if you think that there's a possibility that you could benefit from visiting with a therapist or a relationship coach or something of that sort, do that thing. If you want your partner to do that and they're not ready for that, you don't have to not do it. You can do it yourself and then they might see the growth that you're having and they might be like, maybe that is a good idea and I do want to go. It, we don't all go at the same speed. Right. But seeking professional help is a totally acceptable thing to do and I strongly encourage that in any capacity. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this discussion. I enjoyed getting vulnerable about some of our history. Yeah. And I'm saying that only with a slight tint of sarcasm. Mm -hmm. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love sharing the story about when I ran away from your bedroom that's multiple times. That's always fun. I almost felt like you had a slight hint of sarcasm in that. Maybe a little. Yeah. You're the one that brought it up. I share when I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. All right, Polly M. Fam, I think that uh, this is going to do it for us today, and we absolutely thank you this time and every time that you show up for our discussions. We look forward to talking with you soon. See you next Tuesday. Bye now. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsina. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Polly and fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And, and love, love without, without limits. limits.